I was living overseas when my dad died, so I came home on a flying visit for the funeral and after the service I vividly remember looking around my mum's place and somewhat morosely thinking, this is where she'll die alone. Fast forward a couple of years to my wedding, when my still living mum announced to our entire family that at the age of 71, she was marrying my eldest brother's widowed father-in-law. That's my sister-in-law's dad and moving to New Zealand for what were to be the happiest years of her life. So what's that got to do with Diane's story, which you're about to hear? Let's just say it shows that even the most tragic family saga can always take a surprising and delightful turn at the very end. On this, our 10th episode, I hope you like Diane's story even half as much as I love it. Welcome to my fucked up family. So, Diane, welcome to my fucked up family. Thank you. I must say you are the first person we've had from Rome on the show. Yes. I hope that... Is it, is it also the first international connection you've done or probably not? No, no, no. We've had a, we've had a couple from the States um, at this point. We've got one coming up from the UK as well. But just describe for us where you are today. Uh, I... Okay, my location is called Pigneto, which is supposed, to, according to the young people, it's the grooviest, trendiest part of Rome now. And we have a, a one-story building, Marco and I, and we sleep up on the roof in a little alpine-type wooden house. And and then right now I've got this swing attached to the ceiling that um, I find very relaxing. That right. sounds quite yeah. idyllic, I've got to say. You've painted a beautiful picture, um, right. which makes me quite envious. But look, let's get into yeah. it. Yes. So tell me yes. a little bit about your mum and dad. Okay. So I have to start with my um, my birth father. Well, we always refer to him as Edward. So my mum, DeRay, and Edward, they got married in San Francisco in just... Uh, probably 41. Then they were married for about 10 years and had one child, my older sister, about two years. And I was still in utero when he got killed in a plane crash in during the war. And then she um, was very, very, I mean, she was still in mourning when I emerged. So she said to her mother, you, you take the kids, I'm gone. And she went, back east because I was born in uh, Washington State and then she went back east because she had a lot of other Navy wives of the officers that had spent a lot of time in China and the Philippines and so she went there for their support and that's where she met my stepfather who actually adopted myself and my older sister and then they went on to have two more kids. All girls or what's the mix? Yes. All girls. All girls. Four girls. <laughs> yeah. And you've got Dore, who's your mum, and Freddie, who's your stepdad, right? Yeah. Do you know how they met, Diane? Yes, because, um, you know, at that time when she went back to back east to Annapolis, where yeah. the Naval Academy is, he was already there teaching at the academy. Right, okay. He was he got to miss out in the war. What did he lecture in, just out of interest? He was English. He had his PhD 
in the use of rhyme in Shakespeare. <gasps> Did he really? Can you imagine? I could, I could might maybe write two sentences about it. I wouldn't know how you could do a thesis on it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, all right, okay. So um, how long did your mum leave you with uh, your grandmother while she went off back east? Well, I'm not sure, but apparently when I was, about the time I was crawling and drooling, that was when Freddie um, tells me it was the first time he saw me. Right. So it must have been, right. Um, eight months, maybe, and then, and then not long later, both grandmother and we two children, and our parents were all living in the Bronx in New York, New York. while the war was still going on. Did you end up growing up in New York, or where did you move then? After the Bronx, we went to a suburb of New York, a commuter suburb called Rye, and we were there between my ages about four and nine then we went to carlisle pennsylvania and there my my adopted dad stepdad freddie he um became the dean of the college which was a hit, one of his dreams to be uh, rising the ladder of academia and so would you describe your childhood as happy well um I, I, with with the, my mother, our mother, she was. Um, I can remember her being uh, what I call, what I assumed was the way mothers are. She'd be waiting in the kitchen, uh, having a cigarette when I'd come in the door from school. And before I started school, I remember her um, sitting me on her lap and reading stories to me. And I always felt she was quite understanding. I have those good memories, but depending on where the kids are in the family, they had less of that. But I still saw her as a as a caring, loving mother. W- would you describe them as good parents? There certainly were a lot of quarrels between our parents. And I remember one thing that make, makes me wonder a bit about how they were looking after us. Because, like, there were things that happened, like, we we thought it was okay, all of us, <laughs> to wear your underpants for at least a week. We, we didn't, uh, it didn't occur to us that that would actually be a bit uh, dicey and smelly. <laughs> right. And, and um, nobody, nobody was really looking after the finer details. We, we didn't know how to cut our toenails. We just did our toenails with our teeth. It's good that we that we now have scissors because probably couldn't do that anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was pretty weird. But it started to take on a much darker tone, didn't it? Yeah, during that period when we lived in that town called Rye, was when she started to deteriorate. But it it got worse when we went to the next town, because in Pennsylvania, because. Freddie told the authorities that he wanted a house to be included in his salary package because he was tired of home maintenance. So they vacated what was the health center in this huge mansion sitting right next to the gymnasium and the fraternity house 
and he only had to walk across the street to get to his office. So he was very happy. But for someone like DeRay, that was like, you know, everybody could see what she was doing and she didn't want them to. Right. And one day I was in the town of the town and I suddenly saw my mother who never went out because she just made herself a hermit in the TV room with her alcohol and her popcorn. And, and she was sort of walking really fast with her head down and a big coat on. And she went in, in Pennsylvania at that time, at least you could only buy alcohol in a state liquor store. And that's where she went. And then she went in and got her, bottle of rum and then came out in the same way trying to be incognito and uh, got home with her alcohol so i i assume that normally she didn't run out and freddie drank too so you know he would keep the supplies up but that day she was forced to do that so that certainly stuck in my mind so so life as an academic's wife on campus didn't really suit her then no. it was actually starting to take its toll on her mental health yeah and when she first got to carlisle they had her doing things like pouring tea so therefore the, you know the new dean's wife she was going to be the the featured person yeah. of this social occasion pouring tea i remember she did that she wasn't that wrapped in it but then she just um wasn't feeling able to go out and do anything. And there were some really lovely people that could see she was uh, in stress and they would come and talk to her. But as the years went by, there wasn't anyone coming. And I remember reading a, a, a story of a woman whose mother also had been very mentally ill. <laughs> and the dad just got a housekeeper in and they just gave the mom what she needed and, you know, brought her food and looked after her, but she didn't have to do anything. But I know, and I, my sisters agree, that our mother would not have tolerated anyone else in the house. She wouldn't, she, she loved the cleaning lady, and she did, um, she served as a confidant for her, but um, she, she wouldn't have tolerated Freddie doing anything about it. And then he concentrated on his work. Freddie wrote his biography. And in there, he described the years in Carlisle as his best, most productive years. But he did state in the beginning, I'm not going to talk about anything personal. And so there was nothing really, very, if anything, next to nothing about the family, which is fine. Right. But he, but when he called it his most productive years, I I didn't pick it up, but my my uh, sisters were highly offended by that. That they were good. He calls them good years, and we, we were we were not thinking that at all. Right. She was just getting really worse. Yeah. Yeah, and you guys, as you were you were getting older, you were obviously much more aware of that deteriorating situation. Yeah. Well, you, you couldn't. You just couldn't miss it, you know. Just out of interest, as, as she was growing up, was she always a bit of a recluse? I don't think she was. I think she actually had, she, her dad was a very prominent and wealthy person, really, and she was extremely sociable. Uh, when you look at her old diaries, like she talks about being with people all the time and naming like 
10 different people that she'd been to a party with. So she did have a, what we would, a person would have thought was a pretty good life. But then she did have to deal with the death of her, her father in a car accident. And then the, um, the fact that her, her brother, he had his own car when he was a teenager and once and after his dad died, he just was like, you know, his own boss and he wouldn't go to school. So his mum did she was a lovely woman to me, but she was one that would, you know, if you spilled your milk, she would definitely cry over spilt milk. Yeah, right. And then one Thanksgiving day they were all having their turkey when a phone call came telling her that her son had been injured in a car accident and he was in hospital and she told me that she just went back to the table and kept eating and didn't tell anybody so he had actually i don't know how how he did it but he both crashed the car and shot himself in the eye with a gun at at, at the same (laughs) at the same time in the same incident yes so whether he he brought the gun along in case he didn't die in the accident. I have no idea. Nobody ever spoke about it, but he had this terrible wound. He was legally blind because sometimes, you know, a bit of the infection goes to the other eye. So he, he, he went to blind school and then he met, uh, he fell in love with a blind girl and she'd been uh, blind from birth. And so my grandmother said, well, if you're getting married to her, you might have a blind child, so come with me. We're going to get you a vasectomy, which they did. <laughs> the, the doctor did a vasectomy. Good Lord! That poor woman. So much grief in her family, even before her husband was killed in a plane crash. Yeah. But back to her and Freddie in, in this 1950s academia bubble, how, did, how was that progressing? Well, it got to the point where um, I guess she somehow... I don't know how, but somehow she did not want him in bed with her. So he took a tiny bedroom up in the attic, which was fine, and had windows and everything. And I had previously moved up there before him because I got mad at my sister that I was sharing a room with. And we had a nice big room. I don't know what was the matter with me, but I went I went up there and then I had an even huger room because it took up. Um, almost the whole attic so then he when he when he was up there she would I think every every single night she would just start at a certain time of the night screaming Frederick come down here and that I think it would go on between 30 minutes to an hour even and after a while he would just give up and go down and then as soon as he went down, we'd hear the opposite, Frederick go away or whatever. And and so for for me, for him, he was always in insomniac and couldn't sleep anyway, so I guess it didn't slow him down too much. But um, for for my sisters and I, we just knew we had to endure that that um, screaming at night. And then then she would sleep. I guess she did need her sleeps, and she'd sleep till after lunch, and then um, she would come down and just 
I sit in this dark room watching soap operas and eating popcorn and drinking. And that was how she spent her day. Really? Every day that's what she did? Yeah, yeah. And now here's the interesting thing. When my the youngest child was, uh, when she was ready to go to nursery school at age four, it was located right next to the public school that, that two of us went to. So we would walk her there and drop her off. And she said to me, I don't want to go to nursery school. And I said, I said, okay, if you don't want to go, you just keep outside as you do anyway, but don't come home before lunchtime and then our mother won't know. Well, she did that. And then um, they, the nursery school wrote to my parents saying, I don't know why you have paid um, for Melanie to be in the nursery school because she hasn't been here for a year. (laughs) 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 So then they they were quite shocked. It was about for her to go to kindergarten, so um, everything was okay. Oh, dear. You must have been the talk of the neighbourhood, you guys. You really must have been. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, definitely. Oh, yes. So speaking of schooling, um, you were eventually sent off to boarding school. So tell us, how, how did that come about? I I was crazy about horses. And so I would ride anybody's horse that, that the owner would let me. And then I noticed in the back of magazines that there were adverts for boarding schools where they had a stable of horses. So obviously that would have been a very expensive school. And I'm sure... and. His salary would never have uh, accommodated my desire. But when the, when I would write to that school and say, can you send me information? And then DeRay would look at the information and she said, well, you want to go to boarding school? Maybe we can do something about that. And so I, I thought I ended up there because of her in, in a positive way. That's what I had thought. But, you see, he was able to send me to a, a, a religious but nice place where the students, we did all the housekeeping, cooking work, and um, and I was given a scholarship as well, so he could uh, afford that. And, you know, it was such a blessing for me. But if if they'd been really with it and caring, they would have, sent everybody to that school. Yeah. Yeah, just to get everyone out of there. To give them a life, yeah, because, I mean, that's where, and and so Freddie, um, he had many attributes, but he certainly didn't have a grip on what was, how terrible home life was. Yes, but but tell us um, the reason Dore was so keen for you in particular to go away to boarding school was because her mental condition was deteriorating so badly that it got to the point where she was making these accusations that you and your stepdad, Freddie, were having an affair? Well, but you see, she never said them to me. Um, But the the sisters knew, but I don't know when they knew Mm. that she had said that. But just to be clear, that that there was no, you weren't having a relationship with your stepdad. Oh, no, 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 he was never, ever, even... No, he was no problem. And so, so you got sent off to boarding school, and it, it 
really she was pushing for it because she was accusing him of having some sort of a sexual relationship with you. Or maybe he was pushing for it to get her to stop talking that way. Yeah, right, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you, you're fortunate enough to to get out of there. You're actually just getting yeah. a, a bit more stability into your into your life. Yes, yes, um, I'm so lucky. Yeah, but regardless, your mum continued to go downhill, didn't she? Yeah. DeRay made various um, suicide attempts. One was when we were on um, a summer vacation and when Freddie woke up in the morning, he realised that she was not conscious. And in this little accommodation we had, this little house, there wasn't even a telephone. So he had to race down to the public phone, ring a doctor to come from the from a fair distance away, and that man uh, pumped her stomach and and saved her. But he he said now by law, Massachusetts law, and probably most places is that if you uh, try to kill yourself, you must be committed for 30 days while you're assessed whether you know it's safe for you to go back home. And so we were so relieved because she was, she was put in a hospital mm. in, I think, Boston. How, and our drive to get from our holiday place to Carlisle was a... I think it took two days, and we did it in two days. Um, and she was already home when we got there. So I was just asking my sister yesterday, isn't there a way we could find out how she escaped from that hospital? We just can't work it out. What was Freddie's reaction when you rock up back home and she's there already? Well, he he didn't seem to uh, have, I can't remember any, any we were all, sort of demoralized that oh here we go again but he he didn't express anything that i that's in my memory okay and we just carried on as we were yeah and was that the first time that you were aware of that she tried to kill herself yes i i think it was yes yeah right how many more yeah. attempts did she actually make then diane well i know that with my sisters, we always use the word in the plural, attempts, but that's the only one that I can describe. And maybe that's because of the fact that I went to boarding school. Maybe some of them were happening when I was there. I know she 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 brightened up enough to want to go um, to leave Freddie and get a divorce. And she took herself to Baltimore. And I went down to visit. She invited us all down one by one to visit. And she just um, disappeared in the night. She she didn't come home till morning and I never knew where she'd been or what had been going on. And she used to say that the therapist that she went to back in um, Pennsylvania knew there was nothing wrong with her because that therapist knew uh, Freddie's family, and he knew that they were all bad people <laughs> and that it wasn't her that was causing the problems. Did you did you believe any of that? No, no, nobody believed her. Right. 
<laughs> but also we 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 also did not see any shortcomings on his part. We just thought, you know, he's the one we can rely on. Like he'd come in the door from work and we'd all make eye contact with him and then that would upset her. So tell me tell me about when, um, I mean, if you don't mind, tell me about when Duray... When, he, when she when, killed herself? When she killed herself, yeah. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah. I, I had trouble yeah. saying that. Yeah. Well, I, um, you know, I was away. I was at school. But um, then my sisters tell me there was this gunshot sound because I don't know if you realise this, but really every American home has a gun virtually. Mm. Even the peacekeepers like supposedly we were because, you know, Freddie would never hunt animals, but still he had a gun in the house. I don't know and why it was uh, so, but it was there. So she just... Um, shot herself in the head and uh, he found her um, in a bad way ambulance came I'm sure certain people would have seen her being brought into the ambulance and then they just took her to hospital to let her die I don't think that anybody tried to do anything and maybe it was impossible what, yeah. what year are we talking about here do you think, can you remember? 59 and how did you find out then that she died? they sent the headmaster to speak to me which was very sweet to inform me so I was just told by the, the house mother where I was living at the boarding school to go into the sitting room and he, there he was and he told me Oh, I'm sorry to tell you, but your mother has died. And so um, I said, oh, that's okay. <laughs> I said, I'm pretty stoical. It's okay. And so he left. And then I cried for maybe 10 minutes, and that was all I did. And um, then I went. I told the others, you know, they wanted to know what was happening. And I said, well, they told me my mother died, but there's, she was healthy. So I, I guess she must have killed herself. So... They didn't even tell you it was suicide. You just went, oh, okay, that must have been, no. yeah, you knew. Yeah, most likely thing. I mean, I can understand your stoicism today looking back, but were you, were you really that measured in your response at the time? You know, in the end, when she did succeed, it's, I, I compare it to when someone has cancer and the family is devastated, but by the time the person dies, they're, they're actually relieved for the person because they've they've processed the idea that they're losing them and they know that the person's suffering. So then they're they've already gone through mourning. So you went so you went home for the funeral? Yeah. 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 And they they were very good to my dad. Um, after you know, she did that, they always had somebody who stayed with him all the time. They were just worried that you know, he would go to pieces in some way, but he he survived. And he, and then before long, he started getting all his friends from his past lives and dating young girls and having a good time. <laughs> right. Okay. So he he remarried and yeah, and yeah. he remarried a really a really wonderful woman that was just so outgoing and charming and and just a real great person that. It was fantastic. And then he, Freddie, then got a job in California being the president of a university, which was his dream. And then she was just the perfect 
person to be his partner, his wife, because yeah. she just, you know, could charm everybody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you look back on it and just go, I wish it had been totally different or have you accepted it? You, you, you're right that I wish it had been different because I, I after Wendere's funeral happened, along came Edward's two sisters, which I did, I didn't, we did have contact with them, but very, very little. And so then they, the sisters invited me up to their place in New York, in New York up in New York State, and I went there for my uh, two-week uh, holiday. I, they were just lovely, and I, I so often thought if DeRay wouldn't have managed better if he, you know, hadn't died, because I think he was just uh, a very well-adjusted person. Yeah. yeah, and it sounds like life as a naval wife suited her more. Yeah, I, I think so. She became accustomed to the life of luxury, and then she got the life of treachery, plus um, maybe, I guess we could say, unresolved grief. But she certainly got depressed when there was no help for depression. Mm. So she was sort of doomed. It's such a tragic story on so many levels, but it sounds like you've accepted it and come to terms with it. I think so. I think so. And I think it's partly because when you grow up, it takes a while before you realise that your family's different to other families. You know, in the beginning, you think everybody lives the way you live, but when things got uh, bad, there just didn't seem to be anything to do about it. So we just carried on mm. Mm. Yeah. so as a as a mum yourself then yeah i mean i think it's safe to say you didn't have the best role model how do yeah. you how do you feel that you did with your own kids then i think i did i'm sure i did fantastic but i was i was so scared obviously deep down i was so scared I know my children would have many complaints about me, for sure, <laughs> even now. But they've all done so well. The three girls are all um, really good business people, really good. And my son makes himself happy with um, the fishing industry where he's uh, has worked at different levels there and now he seems to be in the job that he really loves. Well, look, I think considering considering uh, how things started and the role models you had, I think they should be very grateful that they ended up with the mum that they got. Um, because if it, had, if it had carried on a generation, God knows what would have happened. Yeah. yeah. Yes, isn't it great? And then maybe also um, I certainly chose the right man in John because he was um, very... A stable influence for them. It was really good. Just tell me finally, how, how did you end up in Rome? What led you to Rome? Oh, okay. Well, that was good because um, I'd gone to uh, with my first husband, Bill. Um, he'd been sent to London to work, and while we were there, we parted, and I um, found a place to live with some girls which had no no heating. I saw a sign one day, central heating, and that's where Marco, the, the part, my partner now, 
had just created a, a bedsitter house full of bedsitters um, rooms, you know, where you can mm-hmm. charge each person about five pounds uh, a week. And um, so that that's how I met Marco. And then I never got over him because I went from him to the father of the children. Mm-hmm. And he says, he tells people that I was always looking for a doctor to make my parents happy. And he's sort of right, but it wasn't. So was John uh, Was John a doctor? Yeah. Right. A yeah, uh, gastroenterologist. And, and so, so then we were all those years in Australia, and after about 12 years um, or so, I, I felt I had to leave John. And so we parted, and that was terrible. Be- because I took it sort of lightly, thinking that when, you know, you, you feel it's time to end something, that the other person might have similar feelings, not, not really understanding, not really being empathetic to them. Maybe it's not the same for them. So um, that, that was really hard for their dad. But uh, now we are friends again, and then of course John, I I, I told him that um, I thought he should be more like Marco, and he was so he was so good. He just said, "Look, I can't be like Marco." <laughs> and and so all those years, I used to tell people and tell the kids little anecdotes about funny things that Marco had said, and and so then after. I'd been uh, on my own for many years. I certainly tried to find Marco on the internet with no luck. But my oldest daughter, she, her partner is French, and he said, I'm going to take on the Italians. So he took money from all the children, and he hired a private detective. <laughs> and, he, and all I had to supply was Marco's birth date and location, and he found him. And I was so sure that, when I would ring up the phone number that gave me that Marco's wife would, would have been there saying, he's not here, he's not here. But it, it wasn't like that because his wife had died about 10 years before and he had a partner and he was quite happy with her. But um, we started communicating and we, we emailed for about two years and then he and Maria came to... Australia, because they always did interesting holidays. And then she got diagnosed, this is so weird, she got diagnosed in Adelaide with cancer and that would kill her in six months. There's nothing that could be done. Can you believe that? So after she died, within a month, I was in Rome with Marco. And that's nine years ago now. That is the most beautiful story I think I've it's ever very heard. Weird, it's very weird, It's very weird, isn't it? Oh I love that story so much, Diane. I think that's beautiful. Yeah, it is. Oh, well, look, I just have so much admiration for you, Diane. And, oh, thank you. And I think you've told that story really beautifully. Thank you. Um, so thank you for being part of my fucked up family. Okay. And thank you for your positiveness. It's very oh, nice. Oh, thank you. You're very kind <laughs> saying. It's been really wonderful talking to you. And say hello to Marco okay. for us. I will. Okay, then. Okay. Bye. 
I hope you enjoyed this episode of My Fucked Up Family enough to subscribe, share or like. And remember, if you have your own fucked up family story you'd like to share, contact us through our Facebook page. Until next time on My Fucked Up Family.